if the Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through the Spirit that dwells in you. So brothers, we are debtors, but not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. He has not given us a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. He has given us the spirit of sonship by which we cry, Abba, Father. And when we do that, the Spirit is bearing witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if we suffer with him in order that we might be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will re be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the whole creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of him who subjected it in hope that the whole creation will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together like pains of childbirth and not the creation only. But we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Holy Spirit, even we also groan, waiting our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. In that hope, we were saved. And who hopes for what he sees? But if you hope for what you do not see, you wait for it with patience. Likewise. The Spirit helps us in our weakness because we don't know how to pray as we ought. But the Spirit intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. For we know all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And those whom he predestined, he called. And those whom he called, he justified. And those whom he justified, he glorified. What are we going to say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How shall he not freely with him give us all things? Who's going to bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who's going to condemn? It is Christ Jesus who died, who was raised from the dead. Yes, who is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, we are being killed all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure 
that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. I'd like to speak to you this morning on the subject, remember. Last Sunday, we spoke on the question, why? Why is all this going on? We shared four possible answers. The reasons are either human, due to human weakness or mistakes, or evil, human conspiracies, or crimes, or they're demonic of the devil. He definitely is involved in confusing people and setting people at odds with one another. May the Lord help us in this hour to learn to agree to disagree and not to part ways with someone because we disagree with them and by all means not to label them with something that would be offensive. And then we talked about whether or not this is God, if this is his judgment, or is this something he's allowed? Or fourthly, is this an opportunity we can use to reset? When this whole season began, Pastor Olin, my pastor, shared a word on paralleling what we're going through with what Israel went through in that first Passover. They were sheltering in, waiting on their release from bondage. And that night was a glorious night. And so here, for a different reason, we were sheltering in because of this plague as well. And so this is an opportunity for us to reset. If you've not yet had a family devotion with your kids, your spouse, it's time to start. Let's do it. Take advantage of this. Turn off social media and gather the family around the table or around the living room and say, we need to pray and take up prayer requests from each member of the family and then pray. Use the Lord's Prayer as a pattern, as Marietta referred to, and pray through that prayer like it's in the outline. And then love on each other and pray for one another and bless one another. We can grow spiritually during this time. This is a rare occasion, and it's not going to last forever. And people will be fighting about it in courts and maybe in the marketplace for years to come. But as believers, let's grow through this. We've been known over the centuries to grow in spite of opposition. So this is an opportunity to grow. Today, I want to speak to you on the subject from Romans chapter 8. Remember, there's a bunch of things in Romans 8 that's easy to not appreciate, to not hold in mind, even to forget or let slip. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 2 tells us we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. And it talks about how important it is to pay attention to what an angel tells you, and if you don't, there's consequences. If that's true, then how much more important it is to pay attention to God? How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? There's things about our salvation in Romans chapter 8 that if you forget them, you're going to be stressed out, anxious, worried, angry, full of fear, and dread. So we're going to remind you of some things that you probably already know. And if you know them, you want to hear them again because you don't want to forget them. 
Peter wrote in his second letter, he said, I now write to you in this second epistle, in both of which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. So our minds are stirred up when we remember things that are important. It is possible to know things and then forget them. It is possible to allow knowledge to become a substitute for reality. What is reality? Is it just mental assent? No, it is faith in God's reality and applying it to your life and allowing it to impact your outlook, your inlook, your perspective, your perception, your hope, your faith, and your dreams and your emotions and how you feel and don't feel and how you think. And it's my prayer that this chapter, which is one of the greatest chapters in the Bible, they're all great, but this one is phenomenal. The book of Romans is phenomenal. If it were not for the book of Romans, we may not have had the Reformation. So we owe a lot to Paul's efforts to communicate to the saints in Rome important gospel truths. And may we glean from those today. So we're going to talk about a few things that we want to remember. We want to remember we are all the children of God. This text we heard quoted so eloquently says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He had said earlier in the chapter, the Spirit enables us to call God Abba, Daddy, Papa. It's an intimate term of love and appreciation for your heavenly Father. And the Holy Spirit was given to us to bear witness to our spirit that we are the children of God. So the first thing we must remember is who we are. We're the children of God. We're not just mere Americans or mere earthlings or little old humans. We are sons and daughters of the Most High God, and there's no high like the Most High. We are joint heirs with Christ. We may be poor today, but in reality, we're not poor. On paper, we're rich for the writer goes on to say, and if we're children of God, then we're heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. The Bible calls Jesus our elder brother, which means what he inherits, we inherit. We are joint heirs with Christ. God is our Father. What he has belongs to us. So don't forget who you are, and don't forget what you have and are going to have. Suffering with Christ can be a part of life. This is the bad news side of things, but it is the truth. Even though we are the children of God, even though we are rich, there can be hard times that we go through. And the text says, if indeed we suffer with him, we're heirs of God, join heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, we'll be rewarded together from him. Notice the word him is in italics. Literally, this translation could be translated, and Young's literal translation does it, if we suffer together with one another. So suffering together can be a part of life. And in this season we're in, we're all in this together. Some are suffering more than others. Those that have lost their health or those that have lost their prosperity, it's not lost. It's just temporarily suspended. The story's not over. Stay tuned don't check out. 
because a reward is coming in the world to come and in this world. Our glorification with the Lord is together. I'm not just going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. You're not just going to be blessed. We are going to be blessed together. Suffering is a temporary thing, but eternal life is forever. He says that we may be glorified together. If we suffer with him, if we suffer together, we may also be glorified together. Our present suffering, as real and as painful as it can be for some of us, it is, it's not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to come. Look at what Romans 8 says. For I reckon, not hillbilly talk for Goober, hey, Gomer, do you reckon things are going to get better? No, it's an accounting term. There's a day of reckoning come. Correct your accounting books. That's called to reckon the books, to reconcile the books, to balance your account. I reckon, or I change the account because this is true. I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. So as tough as things are, they're not worthy to be compared to our future. We are not alone in expecting a better future. I grew up in in churches that would sing about heaven a lot. Oh, I want to see him look upon his face, there to sing forever of amazing grace on the streets of glory. Let me lift my voice, home at last, free at last, ever to rejoice. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. We're not alone in expecting heaven. For the earnest expectation of creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For our riches to be manifest takes a change of bodies, a change of residence, And creation is longing for that. The mountains and the hills and the deserts and the valleys and the waters and the winds and the weather is longing for the Redeemer to do the great shift and change things which manifest the sons of God. It's it's the transformation of the earth. The new earth is what we are all longing for. Creation as it is right now is subjected to futility. Things go wrong. Our best efforts go wrong. Murphy's law uh, means everything doesn't go perfectly. He goes on to say, for the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. So God, when he made everything, he said it was very good. He did not say it was perfect. It was good to serve his purposes but he built into it futility. With the fall of man, futility came into play, and things can go wrong. The economy can tank. World leaders could make mistakes. Evil can hold sway over the affairs of men, and people can suffer as a consequence. Why? We're not in heaven yet. Man has been given authority, and he has the ability to make us or break us sometimes, it seems like. But the story's not over. With God, all things work together. I'm getting ahead of myself. Deliverance from this bondage is the future. We are longing for it, and so is creation. 
Verse 21, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. So even creation will be delivered. The Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth. Talks about the elements that are now being burned up and God recreating everything for his purpose. And that's where righteousness will reign. Now is not that time. Now is the time of unified birth pangs. Man, if you've had a kidney stone, I understand that's the closest thing a man can feel compared to birth pangs. I've had that one time, and I'll never forget it. And so the earth is in this time of birthing, passing a stone, birthing a baby. What is the baby? The baby is the new creation. The baby is the revelation of the sons of God. The baby is the future that God has promised us. He says, we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. What's going on? Longing for God's will to be accomplished. Longing for the trumpet to sound and the king to rule and reign openly. We must remember these things. We're not alone in expecting a better future. Creation has been subjected to futility. We must remember this. When things go wrong, hey, hello, you're not in heaven yet. This is what earth is like. Deliverance from this bondage is coming. A better day is coming. But now is a time of birth pangs. All of creation together in unity is experiencing these birth pangs, pushing for the better day. But what do we have now? Now we have the Spirit. The Spirit is the first fruits of our full adoption. What do I mean by that? The Spirit is the taste of of the age that is to come. We've already been adopted on paper. It's already happened legally and spiritually. But in reality, there's a better day coming where the fullness of your adoption comes into manifestation. He says, not only is creation groaning together, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting for the adoption. We're longing for that day. We're waiting. But in the meantime, we have the Holy Spirit. He's our comforter. He's our guide. He's our teacher. He is our blessing. He is the Spirit of Christ. If we don't have him, we don't belong to Jesus. One day, our aging bodies, which is part of our problem, will be redeemed. So we have Creation groaning, our spirits groaning, and our bodies are groaning. We're eagerly waiting for the redemption of our body. See, as believers, our spirits were threefold beings, spirit, mind, and body. Our spirits have been reborn. When you become born again, when you become as a child and you are granted entrance into God's kingdom, your spirit which was separated from God, now comes alive. So spiritually, you've been reborn. And now, between now and our eternal destiny, our minds are being renewed. So we have been reborn, we are being renewed, and one day, our bodies are going to be replaced. 
That's the full redemption we're eagerly waiting for. Our hope is not based on what is visible. Well, how do I know this is true? How do I know to get my hopes up? How do I know to have my faith there? If it was visible, you wouldn't need faith. You know, I don't need to have faith that this floor is going to hold me up. I'm standing here. It's reality. It is what it is. But I have to have faith that God's going to provide for us tomorrow. That's why he says, don't worry about tomorrow. Trust me with your tomorrow. Today, enjoy it. That's what I think he meant. He goes on in this chapter, says, for in this hope we were saved. The old King James says, by this hope we were saved. In this hope we were saved. Hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. That's verse 24 and 25. So we have hope, and our hope is based on the promises of God that are invisible right now. We who live in this space-time continuum, we think linearly. It's in our future. We're heading there. But right now is the hour of hope for things that are not visible. Now faith is, Hebrews says, the substance of things hoped for. So hope has a substance that is our faith. And it exists in spite of what we can see, hear, smell, and taste with our natural senses. It's based on revelation from the Word of God. We must remember these things. Eagerly waiting like this requires being perseverant. My fellow Americans, our brothers and sisters in what we call third world countries, God has chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith. They know what it's like to endure. They know what it's like to be tenacious and to persevere. They understand some of those parables in ways we don't understand because our forefathers have blessed us so much, we are riding on their coattails as well as, as it were. But there's coming a day even in our lives when we must learn to persevere and eagerly waiting for the redemption of our bodies, for the full manifestation of the sons of God, for the fullness of our adoption requires that we be perseverant. Is perseverance just a concept or is it a reality in our life? we got to remember these things so that when we see ourselves wavering and wondering and worrying and going into shock, stop and remember, hey, perseverance has a purpose. It's part of the character of a believer, and I'm going to persevere right now in spite of how things look. I'm going to eagerly wait. But if we hope, verse 25, if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. So we must remember to persevere. We must remember the Spirit helps us and he intercedes for us. The Holy Spirit is such a blessing. Likewise, verse 26, likewise the Spirit also also, you know, he bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. 
He gives us strength and comfort and guidance and teaches us, but he also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. You may not know how to pray, but the Holy Spirit knows, and he can help us pray. He can take a groan and turn it into an effective, fervent prayer. Just let it come out your mouth. God, I'm hurting. Help! The Holy Spirit takes that desperate cry and helps us pray. He can help you pray by letting you know that God is hearing you, leading you in how to pray. Now, verse 27 is how he's able to do this. He who searches the hearts, the Holy Spirit knows our hearts, knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. The Holy Spirit always prays in alignment with the will of God. We talked about something that Marietta referred to earlier on praying prayers that are not hindered. In this day and time, we need lots of answered prayers, don't we? Who would agree with me? Answered prayer is so important, but it's very important that our prayers are not hindered, and the Holy Spirit can help us pray and remind us of truth so we're not praying self-centered prayers, so that we're not praying ill towards anyone, but that we're praying according to the will of God. He can help us pray by letting us know God is hearing us. He can help us pray by letting us know what God's will is, and he can help us pray by taking our desperate cries and turning them into effective petitions and intercessions. And I believe he prays for us as well. Father, help this little one. That brings great comfort to us. Everything, this is in the cover of your bulletin, everything works together for good to all who are called according to God's purpose. Never forget it. Don't let some preacher talk you out of it and try to explain it away and tell you you're reading somebody else's mail or tell you, well, you don't really understand it. It's the truth whether you understand it or not. We know, aren't you glad you belong to the We Know Club? That's a teaching we did a while back. Welcome to the We Know Club. We know that all things, can you say all? All things work together for good to those who love God to those who are the called according to his purpose. So if you're called according to God's purpose and you love God, everything is gonna work together for good. That doesn't mean every single individual thing is good. That doesn't mean that God has a hand in evil coming your way. But that means that God's hand will take everything and work it out for good in your life if you love him and are called according to purpose. The reason all things work together for good is each one of us is predestined to become like Jesus. Or if you differ with that English, you could say the reason all things work together for good is each one of us are predestined to become like Jesus. It is in your destiny to become like Jesus. Just as surely as an acorn has an oak tree in it, 
The image of Christ is in you through the seed of the word of God, and you have been predestined to be made like him, and everything in your life's gonna work out towards that good. Let's read verse 28 again and then go through verse 30. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, this is good. We want to be glorified. We want to be justified. We want to be called All these things happen because we've been predestined. We're predestined because we're called. We're called because we're justified. We're justified because we have been glorified through the finished work of Christ. And so everything in your life is going to work out for good. You're going to be made more like Jesus. Well, I feel like I'm going to be made more broke. No, the story's not over. Stop trapping yourself in today and worrying about tomorrow Trust in God with your tomorrow and live to the fullness for today. Wake up every day expecting God to lead and guide our steps. And finally, we must remember, if God is for us, then no one can really be effective in being against us. Let's read that again before we look at the verse. If God is for us, then no one can really be very effective at working against us. In other words, you may have someone working against you right now, and it looks like they're being effective, but they're not going to be effective forever. They're not going to be very effective because it's not over until God says it's over. The story's not over. And our text goes on to say, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, Who can be against us? What can be against us? Remember the song Pastor Shake would lead us in. And if our God is for us, what can be against us? Nothing, 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 nothing. He who did not spare his son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. So the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. Jesus is making intercession for us. Creation is groaning for us. And we are interceding for others and one another. We're going to make it. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, 
nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Heavenly Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters. I pray, Lord, that they would remember what they are to remember. And when they're tempted to forget, they would remind themselves of truths that you've spoken to them. Lord, if there's any one thing that I've shared today that has brought encouragement, help them, Lord, to write it down and use it like a sword against discouragement. One word from you, Lord, changes everything. So, Lord, I pray for the discouraged man. I pray for the despondent woman. I pray for the worried child and the distracted teenager and the concerned student. I pray, Lord, that your peace would lead and guide them. Along the way, Lord, make your will clear. May they trust you. And, Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that if anyone has any needs, they would let us know, that they would let their petitions be made known. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have any needs, you need to let us know. God hasn't told us, so he obviously expects you to let us know. Our phone number is 817-326-5378. 817-326-5378. If you don't have a pen, you could remember this easily. 817, that's our area code, fan. Jesus. So if you're a Jesus fan, you got our phone number. Fan Jesu, literally, which is Jesus in Swahili. You can add that last S if you want to. Or you can email us. If you want my personal cell number, email me, alan, A-L-A-N, at generationspeople.org. Don't be discouraged. Don't tune out. Don't check out. Don't give up. The story's not over. Better days are yet ahead, and we are not trapped to the temporal realm. One day we are going to get to heaven. One day we are going to see Jesus, and it will be worth it all when that happens. But in the meantime, we will have victories and battles, battles and victories, valleys and mountaintops, but along the way we're becoming more like Jesus. We're not what we were, and we're not what we're going to be, but thank God we're on the way. Stay tuned for Kids Church Online. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace.